giving a clear presentation. So how do you present it? In our next chapter, we'll look at sample scenarios and suggest ways to lead into the gospel conversation. But assuming you're at that point where you're ready to present the gospel, what would that look like? What follows is more or less my basic gospel presentation. You don't need to memorize it or use my exact words. I'm simply providing them as a sample of how you can share the gospel, explaining each verse and moving from one scripture to the next. I will often ask the person to whom I am speaking a question to move from small talk into spiritual dialogue. Depending on the context of the situation, I may ask, Has anyone shown you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt you are on your way to heaven? Or, if you were to die today, do you know if you would go to heaven or hell? Or do you not know? If they're not sure, I ask them if they will allow me just a few moments to share what the Bible says. Along the way, I try to remain sensitive to whether or not they are responding to each truth I am sharing and to allow the Holy Spirit to direct me to other passages or even to continue the conversation at another time. From here, I'll add comments to you in parentheses, but the rest of the context is how I would explain basic truths of salvation to whom I am witnessing. 1. Understand God loves you. The first thing you need to understand is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave himself for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 But that's not all. God not only loves you, he wants you to know that you can have a home with him in heaven. Some people think that they can only hope we will be in heaven. But God wants us to know. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. 1 John 5:13. Note, if I'm talking to someone who is of a background, especially Catholic, where they seem hesitant that someone can really know that they are going to heaven, I'll often pause as I come to the word know in 1 John 5.13 and ask them to read it to emphasize its significance. So if God loves us and wants us to know that we have eternal life, why doesn't everyone automatically go to heaven? That's what we have to understand next. 2. Realize your condition. The Bible tells us that we are all lost in sin. Sin is any act contrary to God's law and commandments, and all of us have sinned. Romans 5.12 teaches us that since Adam and Eve, the first man and woman on earth, a sin nature has been present in all people. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. No one had to teach us how to sin. Sin came naturally to us. But the Bible teaches that our sin separates us from God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Number 3. Notice God's price for sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 A wage is what you earn for what you do. For instance, a man earns a paycheck for the work he has done. Even so, we deserve eternal death in hell for the sins we have committed. Some people believe that we can 
pay for the price of sin by doing good works or being involved in religion. This may seem logical, but it's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible specifically tells us that we can't earn our way to heaven through good works. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9 Number 4. Believe Christ died for you. Though we deserve eternal death for our sin, Jesus paid our payment when he died for us. We were lost and separated from God, but he loved us. Because he loved us, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. After his death, he rose from the dead three days later. John 3.16 explains, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 6.23 tells us Christ now offers us the gift of eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a gift Christ paid for when he died on the cross for our sins. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus became the payment for our sin. Now we don't have to pay for sin ourselves. By his grace, salvation is provided. But God commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 5. Confess your faith in Christ. To have a relationship with God and an eternal home in heaven, we must stop trusting in ourselves, our works, or our religion, and place our full trust in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of our sin and for eternal life. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whoso believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Romans 10, 9-11 To be saved speaks of being saved from the penalty of our sin, eternal separation from God in hell. Although we are sinners separated from God, Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, provided the way of salvation. Another way God helps us understand this is John 3, 7, where Jesus said, Ye must be born again. To be born again is to be born into God's family, to have a spiritual birth date when we turn from trusting in ourselves or our religion and place our trust in Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins. It is when we in faith call on the Lord to save us. God himself promises that if you realize your sinful condition and confess Christ as your Savior, trusting in the payment he made for your sin and turning to him alone to be your Savior, he will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.13 Leading to a Decision I don't just want to share the gospel, as in get the word out. I want to see the person to whom I am speaking trust Christ as Savior. 
So how do I lead this person to a decision? At this point in our conversation, I'm very sensitive to how the person is responding. If he has been attentive and it seems like the Holy Spirit is working a work of conviction in his heart, I'll continue our conversation by inviting him to call on the Lord Jesus by faith for salvation. But if he's distracted and only casually listening to these truths, I'll likely pull back and give the Holy Spirit time to work in his heart. I'll still try to keep in contact with him and I'll look for an opportunity in the future to witness to him again. If I continue, I'll likely ask a few summary questions, something like the following. Do you believe that you're a sinner separated from God and without the ability to save yourself? Do you believe that Jesus, God's Son, shed his blood to pay for your sins? Would there be anything that would keep you from turning to trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior today? As we saw a moment ago, God promises that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Even as you confess with your mouth that you are putting your trust in Christ, it is important that you also believe in your heart. It is the faith of your heart that saves you. Once again, I'm careful to observe how the person is responding and to ask the Holy Spirit to help me discern if he's working in his heart. Typically, I ask, would you like to turn to Christ in faith and call on the Lord for salvation now? If the person responds with hesitation, I ask what would keep them from turning to Christ? I'm always aware at this point of my dependence on the Holy Spirit. If they have a sincere question, I want to respond with wisdom. We'll look at some of the common questions in chapter 6. But if they need to be urged to trust Christ, like someone who is fearful needs to be urged to jump from a burning building into a rescue net, I want to urge them not to delay the decision. Often, however, if I've gotten to this point in the conversation with someone showing genuine interest, and I ask them if they'd like to turn to Christ for salvation now, they often respond with a yes. Usually, I will review the gospel presentation in the form of a simple prayer. I may say something like this, That's wonderful, Joe. Why don't you call out to Christ right now to save you? Simply confess to him that you're a sinner and ask him, as the Son of God, to cleanse you and to be your Savior. Remember, you're talking to God, not me. I'll pray after you. Occasionally, if the person seems hesitant to pray because they don't feel like they know how to pray, or what they would say, I lead them in a prayer, allowing them to repeat after me. I always stress that they are praying to God, not to me, and that they need to mean it from their heart. If I lead them in a prayer, I suggest using something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I am separated from you because of sin. I confess that in my sin I cannot save myself. Right now, I turn to you alone to be my Savior. I ask you to save me from the penalty of my sin and I trust in you to provide eternal life for me. Amen.